Thank you for joining us for the second week of our sermon series, A Thinking Person's Guide to Faith. The topic for this week is When Christians Get It Wrong. Our sermon text for the week is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, the first five verses. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and so these are the words of Jesus to us. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times we get it wrong. Even with the best of intentions, we have sometimes hurt people. Too many people have walked away from your church because of those hurts. Lord, we confess, help us to love, help us to invite people back into your love and grace. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. As Methodist Christians, we vow to live by three simple rules. They've been a central part of our doctrine since the days of our founder, John Wesley. These are the three rules that are supposed to guide everything about our daily lives. Well, number three is to attend upon the ordinances of God. Uh, now, that's a fancy way of saying do the religious stuff. And for us, that's probably the easiest one of the rules. Uh, show up at church on Sunday mornings, crack open our Bibles a few times during the week for devotion and Bible study. Uh, those are the things we normally associate with church. They don't really require a whole lot. They don't re require a lot of time or a lot of energy. Just practice the religious stuff. Practice the means of grace. Stay in love with God. Now, they're incredibly important. But of the three rules, this is probably the easiest to follow, at least for us church folks. In fact, this is all of Christianity for a lot of people. But there are two more rules. Rule number two is do all the good that you can to all the people that you can, whenever you can, and by any means that you can. Now, that one requires a little bit more of us. More than just showing up for church on Sunday morning or reading our Bible from time to time, we're supposed to actually do something to make people's lives better. At Forest Lake, we call this work missions. Now, and we give a lot of money to missions. We change a lot of lives through your generosity. In fact, because of your incredible generosity over recent months and years, our mission fund had actually gained a surplus of money. Well, that money wasn't doing anybody any good sitting in the bank. We wanted to make sure that it got out and changed the world around us. So just in the last couple of weeks, we made decisions to give away uh, roughly $60,000 to build the kingdom of God on earth. We gave away money to Habitat for Humanity for roof replacements. We're supporting Tuscaloosa Emergency Services, Compassion Coalition. Uh, we gave away uh, $5,000 to foster family agencies. Uh, we are working with long-term recovery from our recent storms, another $5,000 to help people recover from those storms. We made a gift to moms who are raising their children. We, uh, we worked with Home in Place to make sure that people can stay in their homes longer. Our senior citizens don't have to move out so early. We're feeding people around the world through Heifer Project. We're feeding local pe people through the West Alabama Food Bank and through Secret Mills. $60,000 plus 
that we have given away in order to make things better. That's a part of the way we do all the good that we can. But we also do hands-on stuff. We, it's so important that we give those monetary gifts. Please keep them coming, but at the same time, we need to do hands-on stuff. Uh, we've had people go over and work at East Tuscaloosa Community Soup Bowl or at Loaves and Fishes, actually uh, serving people face-to-face -face in hunger ministry. Our love stitchers meet every week to stitch prayer shawls for people who are suffering illness or loss in Tuscaloosa and really all across the country. That hands-on work is important as well. Doing good requires a little bit more of us. You know, we show up for worship on Sunday mornings, we read our Bibles, but we also get our hands dirty. Uh, it's been the heart of Forest Lake since its founding. So that's rule number three and number two. Now rule number one is really the most expansive. In a lot of ways, it's the hardest to follow. Our first rule as Methodist is do no harm. I believe it is the hardest. You see, I can worship on Sunday mornings and do my devotion once a day, but then the rest of the day I can kind of go on about my business. I can choose to take a little bit of time out of a day here and there to do a good deed. But doing no harm means that I am constantly looking out for the well-being of others. Doing no harm is a 24-7 commitment. Every day, every hour, we are taking care not to do something that would hurt one of our brothers or sisters around us. I'm working to make sure that uh, every day, all day, that none of my actions would negatively affect someone. That's a tall order. You think about it, whether we're driving through this traffic in Tuscaloosa, about whether we're dealing with someone in a grocery store or our waitress at a restaurant, uh, all of the people that we encounter throughout the day, we have that, that we have that rule, do no harm. Don't do anything that would take away from their well-being. That's a lot to ask. And to be honest, we get it wrong sometimes. We've gotten it wrong too often. We're all human and we, we give in and we lose focus on that all-important role. I get it wrong sometimes. Last week in the sermon, we talked about science and religion. I told you that the church branded Galileo as a heretic for teaching that the earth rotates around or revolves around the sun. Well, how silly is that, that, that we branded somebody a heretic for telling us the truth? The church was wrong. We were unable to admit it for a lot of years. For far too long, we doubled down on what we knew was wrong because we were afraid to admit our own fault. In our stubbornness, we caused way too much pain. Parts of the church supported slavery for hundreds of years. They misused the Bible to support their claims. They stubbornly clung to their ideas, even when it was obvious that slavery was wrong. The some in the church kept doubling down, and when slavery went away, we even moved it on to segregation. The church was wrong, and we hurt so many people along the way, and that pain actually still continues. I don't think we intentionally try to get it wrong always. Sometimes we, are, sometimes we think we're standing up for the truth. I hope we don't actually wake up in the morning and say, I wonder how many people I can hurt today. No, instead, very often, we may think that we're doing the right thing, that we're standing up for the truth, but somebody gets hurt in the wake of, uh, of our maybe misunderstanding. 
Several years ago, I began writing a book entitled The Immoral Christian. And when I was writing that, I asked for people to send their stories to me about ways that they had been hurt by the church. Mary was one of those people that sent in a story. Now, that's not a real name, but that's the name we'll use. Mary was someone who sent in a story about how she had been hurt by the church. And I'd like to share her story with you now, just as she shared it with me. A year and a half ago, I lost my sister to suicide. It was a really difficult time for us and still is. And we've had a hard time dealing with criticism from Christians who are often insensitive about how my sister passed away. One blatantly told me that my sister was going to hell. It's very difficult to hear that only God can take a life when I know how much my sister suffered during her final years. She started getting sick right after the birth of her daughter. She was also a single parent, and it was heartbreaking to see her deterioration, postpartum depression. She got to a point where she couldn't even bathe herself anymore. I know it sounds crazy to say, but a part of us is relieved that she is no longer suffering. I believe that if God is really a God of love, that surely my sister would be in a place now where she is free from her suffering and not burning for not being able to continue on any longer. This kind of judgment is also why people choose to refrain from speaking up about mental illness. And we have this big issue with not only stigma from others, but self-stigma too. She left behind a now eight-year-old daughter who I will be adopting soon. And it's hard for me when my niece asks about Jesus. Right now, Jesus makes her happy, and so I'm more than willing to teach her about him. But I just hope she stays in it for Jesus and the right reasons, and not to think that she is better than others, a vibe most Christians in my life give off. That was Mary's story. Now, those people that showed up might have thought that they were sharing a biblical truth. Maybe they really believed that that suicide victims are doomed to hell. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. They might have really believed that, but that belief was causing Mary unnecessary pain. That was doing harm that really pushed her away from Christ in the church. They might not have meant to harm Mary, but they certainly did. The pain and the damage were real. And by the way, it's kind of presumptive to think that we know the perfect will of God, that we can understand God's judgments. We believe that God spoke this massive universe into existence. We can't begin to think that we understand God's mind. We can only catch faint glimpses. Even Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly. But yet we're so quick to judge people for what we can at best only see dimly. And I've done it. I did it when I told a mom in my church that her gay son's relationships were not God's best for them. She came to visit with my study after finding out two of her three sons were gay. And I was very proud of myself because I still invited them to come worship with us. I told her that I loved her her sons, and I truly did. But I went on to tell her that her son's love was not God's best for them, that the life that they were living was not God's best. I didn't mean to hurt her. I I thought I was being faithful to Scripture. I I was trying to do the right thing. I, I thought, at least I tell myself that. I didn't realize until years later how badly I hurt that woman. She wrote me years later to tell me of the pain and the heartache that my words caused her. You see, I decided 
that her children's love wasn't good enough. Once again, I who can only see in a mirror dimly, I who can't imagine the deep thoughts of God, I who can only catch small glimpses of who God truly is, I decided on behalf of God, I took God's place in deciding that her children's love wasn't good enough. I might have thought I was being faithful, but I was wrong. I was arrogant. I took God's place in passing a judgment that was not mine to give. And I hurt someone I really loved. It's what happens when we assume that we know more about God than we do. I now believe that, that her son's love is genuine, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They're a beautiful gift in our world. I ignored the words of Jesus. I suspect we all do sometimes. Do not judge. It's a command, not a recommendation, not a suggestion. It's a commandment, and perhaps even stronger than the Ten Commandments, which we like to boast about, because these, this commandment is directly from the Word made flesh, Jesus among us. Do not judge. We can't pretend to know the fullness of God. And if we're going to speak for God, we'd better make sure we're absolutely right. We've all done harm. We've hurt people. So what now? Well, we do what the church should have done for Galileo. We confess. We admit we were wrong. You see, too often we want to double down when, we, when we're wrong and we know we're wrong. We think if we say it often enough, maybe it'll make us right. But no, we just admit that we're wrong. We apologize for pain that we've caused. We do anything we can to fix anything that can be fixed. It's what I had to do with that mom. I had to confess to her. I had to apologize for the pain. I had to offer her my much belated affirmation. And I've had to do it many other times, more than I want to remember. Too many people have walked away from the faith because church people hurt them. Even if we were good intended, even if we were well intended, sometimes our actions have hurt people. And people have walked away. It's time for us to say we're sorry. What a, what a great place to start for the church to confess. We are all the time telling the world that it should confess its sins and turn to God. But if confession is so good, the church ought to do more of it. We need to confess. We need to say to the world around us that we're sorry. For anyone listening to, the, to this message that's been hurt by the church, if you'll allow me to speak on behalf of the church, I'd like to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry we hurt you. If you'd like a safe place to talk about it, I would love to talk with you. Please email me. My email address is kthomas at forestlakeumc.org. kthomas at forestlakeumc.org. Please email me and let's talk. Uh, people are imperfect. And perhaps people have hurt you in the name of God. But God still loves you. God still values you. You are still a treasure to God. And I'd love to be a part of inviting you back. For all of us in the church, when we've done harm, we confess. And with God's help, I pray that we do better. For those that have been harmed by the church, please know that God loves you even more faithfully 
that God is still inviting you into God's grace. Amen. I hope that you'll continue joining us throughout the series. Next week, we will look at making sense of the Bible. In our time, I'm afraid too often the church has made an idol out of the Bible. And we will address that in next Sunday's sermon. I hope you have a great week. And thank you for joining us today. Amen.